Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. The following program has been pre-recorded. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in this weekend to Let's Talk Portland, Odyssey Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. You may have heard of dry January, even dry July. This time, let's talk about sober October. On the show this time, I'd like to welcome Dr. Eowyn Riki. Dr. Riki is the Fora Health Medical Director. Hey there, Dr. Riki. Welcome to Let's Talk Portland. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I thought we'd first get started today by having you tell us a little bit about you, your background, and maybe your specialties. Yes, um, I am an addictions medicine doctor. I started out in primary care, working with people who were without housing or otherwise marginalized, and then recently moved to focus really on addictions medicine because I realized what a major impact it has on the lives of many people in Portland, Oregon, and across the country. Yeah, I want to ask about what is the incidence of substance abuse disorder or addiction across the U.S. right now? Oh, they, uh, it depends on how you count it. There's a bunch of different kind of measures, whether it's a mild use condition or a more serious. Um, but the estimates are at 10% or more of people in the United States experience some sort of, kind of disordered or um, substance use that results in significant consequences. And by substance, do we mean alcohol, drugs? What, what are we talking about? In this case, I'm talking about all of them. It's alcohol, um, drugs, including cocaine, methamphetamines, heroin, fentanyl, all of them. Has, uh, has that incidence started to rise over the last few years? It has, and especially with COVID. So interestingly, and speaking and specifically about alcohol, um, the rate of alcohol use was already increasing in the few years before COVID started. And then there's a marked increase of use in, with the pandemic and with the isolation and uh, people losing a lot of their existing coping strategies as the pandemic started. Do you think people picked up the abusive order disorder uh, during the pandemic because of the pandemic or was it something kind of maybe uh, brewing underneath for a while? I think there's a lot of different factors. Yeah. I think one of the ones that's most concerning is people drinking to cope which is a particular classification of drinking that is, uh, contain, uh, includes a higher risk for people going on to have an alcohol use disorder. So that's what we call it uh, in the medical world that someone has an alcohol use or substance use disorder, which is really related to lack of control and continuing to use despite negative consequences. So if I'm a person who has a glass of wine each night um, and that doesn't escalate, I don't feel compelled to do it. There are still negative consequences of even a single glass, 
negative health consequences, but they may not be very large. And so that is not really, I would not be continuing to use despite, despite major negative consequences such as work, relationships. But if I escalated that, if I started to get stressed because I was working from home and I had the kids running around, and so I had two or three glasses of wine, that then becomes disordered drinking, perhaps compulsive drinking, and continuing to drink despite those negative consequences that could be impacting my family, impacting my work. Yeah, what's the line that gets crossed when it becomes a problem? It, that, you know, and there, there's a lot of different ways in which substance use can become a problem. It can interfere with your relationships. Perhaps you're hungover on a day when you were supposed to be spending time with family, or perhaps you're actively using and that creates conflict with family members. Um, it also can interfere with your work. if You're not able to, to fulfill your work responsibilities or other relationship responsibilities. So that's really the line we think of. It's both who's in charge of the drinking? Am I in charge of my alcohol use or is my alcohol use controlling me? And then are there negative consequences? Have I gotten a, a, a charge of driving under the influence or am I not able to fulfill my work responsibility or am I spending so much money on something that it's, it's impacting the rest of my life? That's the point at which we, we talk with people about considering significant changes in their behavior. We're talking today with Dr. Riki for a medical, uh, for a health medical director. Uh, Dr. Riki, tell us about for a medical health. So Fora is a wonderful place where we are focused on the humanity of our patients and provide them with extraordinary support and all the way through from withdrawal management, so also known as detox. So if someone wants to stop a substance in a supportive environment, they can come and stay with us for some number of days while they transition. We have outpatient services, so counseling groups, medications, and then we have a residential program where some people come and stay with us for one, two, even months or even longer while they get intensive counseling and intensive support to change those patterns. And uh, our audience may be familiar with Fora because it used to be called DePaul, correct? Yes, we changed our name. We moved into a new building. And I would say our philosophy has considerably changed within the last year. Yeah, in what way? Our philosophy... We really emphasize, I think, the dignity of our patients and the kindness in a new way. Um, we've incorporated a lot more harm reduction, which is an idea that any positive change is positive change. So if someone decides that they want to drink less, drink fewer days, drink fewer drinks, that in and of itself is a positive change. We don't require abstinence or expect our patients to make large dramatic changes that may simply not be sustainable in the long run for them. So we really focus on harm reduction. I would say we have a strong emphasis on kindness and person-centered care. That is just kind of a, it's a new approach to some of the work we do. That kind of leads into part of the reason we're talking today is because it's the month of October and a lot of people are, are doing what's called sober October. Talk to me about sober October. This is the first I've heard of it. Yeah, it's an interesting name. Sober October is similar to, similar to dry January and dry July is a time in which people are encouraged to consider their alcohol use habits. It is focused on alcohol use from uh, the research that I've done. And so it's a time to take a look at them and see if they're really serving you. Uh, many people take the word sober quite seriously and think it means they need to become abstinent for the month. 
And I would encourage people to think of it as a, an opportunity for reflection and sustainable changes. So if you are a person who drinks, uh, a female-bodied person who drinks more than one drink a day, that would be considered potentially too much. It uh, could have higher risk of causing health problems. And so perhaps hold yourself to one a day. If you're someone who uh, participates in binge drinking, so you drink multiple drinks on, say, a weekend night, perhaps try to reduce that to fewer. Um, there are lots of tools you can do to that to, to do that. And, and so there's, it's really an opportunity to reflect on your habits, determine how they do or do not serve you, and make changes. Is there something in particular about the month of October, or is it simply it kind of rhymes with sober? I think it just rhymes, but honestly, I don't know for sure. Yeah. There's one thing I do want to say very specifically to the idea of sobriety and alcohol use, which is um, alcohol is one of the two substances have developed a significant body dependence, meaning your body can't function well without it. It can be dangerous to stop on your own. So I want to make sure some people are not taking this too seriously and going from drinking kind of regularly every day, multiple times a day to none because that can be life-threatening. And I would encourage those people to find support. Uh, we have withdrawal management or detox at Fora Health. There are other organizations around the city that do uh, to make sure that they can stop. Uh, if they decide to become completely abstinent, that they can do that safely. So cold turkey is maybe not the, not the way to go. If, if It can be, but not if it's something that you're doing regularly. Not, right. if, not if you feel significant withdrawal symptoms when you stop from alcohol, because that, that can be life-threatening. Talk to me about uh, the instance of, of substance abuse, particularly in the state of Oregon. So Oregon, we have, um, we unfortunately uh, have the highest rate or among the highest rates of states in the United States of substance use conditions. And we have the lowest or among the lowest of access to care. And so it is a, a terrible combination in which we have a significant amount of alcohol use, opioid use, stimulant use, specifically methamphetamines, and people just simply do not have access to the care they need to make changes. Uh, why is it higher here than anywhere else? There's a lot of complicated answers to yeah, that. Some yeah. of it is simple geography, um, stimulant use. Um, it's really related to geography and being on the coast. Um, and then some of it is we just have had, we have the lack of access to care. I mean, it's kind of a chicken or egg. Right. You don't have access to care. Does your use problem continue? If you have a use problem and, you know, it just both pieces feed into each other. Can you talk to me about why we have such limited access to care? Historically funding. Um, we have a behavioral health system and behavioral health includes mental health and substance use care system that has been chronically underfunded. And so people with substance use conditions, there, there has not, there have not been programs where they could go. We have not had the funding to create those programs. It seems like uh, to maybe somebody who doesn't know a whole lot about this, that we have a lot of social services uh, around the state, particularly here in Portland. It seems like there are a lot of social services and there is a lot of help out there, but you're saying th there really isn't. Not nearly enough. Um, a few years ago, there was an estimate that there were 6,000 people with opioid use disorder, so who were addicted to opioids, whether that be heroin or fentanyl or pills, like um, 
Percocet that did not receive care. So there are lots and lots of people who are not receiving the care. And we're simply underfunded. It may seem like there are a lot of services in Portland, um, and there, there are not nearly as many as we need. And in rural and frontier areas of the, of the state, there are counties that have no services at all in the entire county. Yeah, what's the incidence in rural Oregon? Is it, is it? I don't have those numbers. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, it, it's really unfortunate that there are no services out there at all, right? In, in the rural areas of the state, which there are a lot of rural areas of the state. Uh, talk to me also about uh, if somebody is seeking help, what are they, where do they start? So it depends on what they're seeking help for. But I do think, um, and again, if they're, if they're trying to stop using alcohol or benzos, which is a, a, a form of a pill, uh, it is important that they talk with someone about withdrawal management or to make sure that they can safely stop. Um, but I would say connecting, if you have a primary care provider, your primary care provider may be able to, to connect you to care. Um, there is a great website called Rethinking Drinking, um, which is a part of the federal government, and it really puts together a lot of the pieces of what counts as and more alcohol than is safe, what are the options for treatment. Um, so there are some resources, and there's certainly Fora Health, and we're at forahealth.org. Um, uh, so there are lots of ways and places that you can go to try and get more information on the treatment options. Yeah, and I'm kind of thinking, at what point do you think you need to seek help? You know, what are the symptoms of, of abuse? I think if someone is starting to think that they need help, they probably do. Some of the classic definitions would be, if someone in your family is concerned about your use, that may be a sign of thinking about it, making a change. If you're concerned about your use... If it's impacting your life, if um, you're drinking more than you plan to, you know, you make a rule, say, I'm going to have two drinks. I'm going to go out with friends. I'm going to have two drinks. I'm a male-bodied person. I know that's the limit, usually, kind of expectation for how many I should have. And I end up having four. So I've set a goal. I'm not able to hold myself to that goal. Um, and then perhaps I say something that creates problems in my relationships. Perhaps I spend money that I don't have. Um, perhaps I risk and I drink in risky situations, such as I drink and I drive. So when you have those negative consequences, um, and you are not able to control what you are doing, so you make a make a goal and you still exceed it, or you have other members of, of family and friends who are concerned about you related to your use, those are times when I would consider looking for more support. And there's lots of support. I mentioned treatment. I would also I would never want to. Um, forget to mention support groups. Um, there are, there's Alcohol Anonymous, which is the most well-known, but there's lots of other groups as well. Uh, for those folks for whom the AA philosophy doesn't fit, there's um, Smart Recovery, there's Dharma Recovery, there are recovery groups focused on minoritized population, um, such as Indigenous people, women, Black and African Americans. So there's tons of support groups that can create a community and create insight and structure that can help people make these changes. Yeah, there is. Uh, that's good that there's a lot of support groups out there. But what if you're maybe homeless or or don't have access to uh, finding these groups? How, what do you do then? So lots of groups um, are back in person. Um, so you can work uh, in person. Many groups are also online. 
So I, I know um, friends and family who join a group and they can be on a group with someone from Ireland or someone from mm-hmm. South America. Um, and so you can build community uh, in unexpected ways. And then there are many groups that are held in churches and other public spaces. So it's really looking into them and, and talking with, if you are without housing, talking with a primary care provider or going to one of the local homeless services providers and asking for information on those, those groups is an option. How can seeking addiction treatment early prevent an intervention later down the road? So I think identifying those dysfunctional patterns gives you a chance to build more functional patterns. Um, they're really simple things people can do, such as I'm going to drink a full glass of water in between every beer. And that's, that's a really simple way to potentially reduce your alcohol use, also reduce the consequences because you're less likely to have a hangover the next day if you're adequately hydrated. Or I'm going to talk to my buddy and my buddy is going to cut me off at two and I'm going to be okay with that. Um, so building those strategies into your life will simply reduce your alcohol use. And that significantly reduces the risk of alcohol use in the future. And I think the other piece of that is drinking to cope. We know that uh, conveys a higher risk of long-term alcohol use disorders. And so building those coping strategies for stress, whether it's exercise, whether it's watching funny movies, whether it's talking to a dear friend, um, any of those things you can do to cope with stress that are not related to alcohol or other substance use can also significantly reduce the risk of drinking to cope and therefore reduce the risk of an alcohol use disorder. What is meant by binge drinking? So binge drinking is drinking um, three or four or more drinks or five or more, depending on if you're female or male bodied um, in one setting. So if it is drinking multiple drinks in one setting and, and just a note, one drink um, is a shot of hard liquor. It is a 12 ounce, 4% beer, and it is a five ounce glass of wine. So if you get, you know, a double, if you get a beer and a shot and that's a double shot, you may have three alcohol equivalents right there. Or even one of those, you know, 9% 16-ounce beers, that's about three alcohol equivalents in one can. So paying attention is important to make sure that you are adequately and accurately reflecting how much you're taking in. And that uh, binge drinking doesn't just happen on the weekends. No, it can happen all kinds of times. It can happen if someone has a stressful experience. It can happen if there's a particular person that someone binge drinks with. Um, it can happen in many different situations. We're talking today with Dr. Riki, Fora Health Medical Director. I want to talk a little bit more about Sober October. What, what, what are some helpful hints that you can give people to maybe be successful for Sober yeah. October? Yeah, I really think of this in three categories, many of which we've already covered. But first is planning. So if you have decided you want to make a change, think specifically about what you want to do. Is it fewer days drinking? Is it fewer drinks at a time? Is it complete abstinence? If it's complete abstinence, can you do that safely? Are you a person who needs to have medical support for stopping drinking? Or are you someone who can do it on your own? And that's really about whether or not you have withdrawal symptoms. If you have significant withdrawal symptoms, talk to a medical provider. Um, so plan and really concretely plan. Like, how am I going to manage the feelings that come up when I don't have this thing I've used to cope or this thing that relaxes me? 
Um, and so whether it's planning social events that are going to be alcohol free, and there are zero proof bars that serve drinks that don't have alcohol in them, you can go to a movie and not have any alcohol. There, there are many social activities that don't require drinking. So that's the first one, plan. The second one is be kind to yourself. So if you set a goal, you know, if you usually drink five and your goal is to drink two and you drink three or four, that's positive change. That is progress. Um, and so don't think it's all or nothing because that's the kind of thinking that often sets us up for failure. Not always, but often. And then get help. Um, enroll your friends and list friends and family. And if you feel like you need more advanced help, consider recovery groups or um, consider treatment, which we can offer at Fora Health and other places as well. That's Those are great tips. Thank you. Um, talk to me also about an addiction assessment. What is that? Well, an addiction assessment is a tool that is used for someone entering formal substance use treatment to really assess the many different areas of their life that may be impacting their substance use and impact their desire to make a change. So we look at their medical conditions and how they might impact that. We look at their mental health conditions. We look at their social situation, their housing, their employment, um, their history of trauma. And so it's really looking at the many different factors that may contribute to a person's substance use and then also impact their desire to make change and their success with those changes. What are, what are the expenses of treatment? Is, is treatment expensive? Uh, it depends on the kind of treatment and it depends on who's paying for it. Um, many insurance companies will pay for quite a bit of treatment, if not all of it. Um, and so it, it really depends on if you are in outpatient treatment. If you're only receiving medications, then you pay for a medical visit and medications. Most of those are often paid for by insurance, except for if you have copay if you have one. Um, if you want a more complicated medication, perhaps an injectable form of a medication, depends on your insurance, but those can be quite a bit more expensive. Um, groups and one-on-ones, which would be part of a behavioral health, um, those can be quite a bit more expensive and are usually covered by insurance. Um, and then you can get, there is, I mean, free treatment, which is community groups, community support groups. So someone who's really financially limited and does not have insurance, there are for sure, other ways that they can get support and have regular meetings and support from, uh, say, a sponsor through AA um, or a friend who attends their smart recovery group with them. And then residential can be quite a bit more expensive. It can be then tens of thousands of dollars. And again, some re- uh, some uh, insurance does cover that, and some covers less. Just depends. It could potentially be priceless, right? Uh, tell me about what addiction does to a person's mind and body what what are some health concerns oh so many um i mean i think ultimately this is this may not be exactly the question you're asking but ultimately i think it leads to someone feeling like they're not in control Um, they don't get to make free choices about their life and that there is something that is driving them and that is one of the hardest situations when someone really wants to stop And either they have a compelling emotional use to use or a compelling physical use to use. I mean, when people get to become dependent on a substance, and I will use an opioid in this example, um, they experience intense withdrawal 
and they don't feel better unless they use the substance again. This is true also for alcohol. Like people who wake up in the morning and need to drink alcohol in the morning in order to get well, is how they refer to it, is in order to feel normal. So people are no longer using in order to get high or to have that particular sensation of that substance. Sometimes they're using just to feel normal, to be able to function. And that is where it's just, it is heartbreaking because they want to stop and they can't without the support to stop. And especially with alcohol, without support to stop safely. Um, of course, we know, you know, many people know about liver disease associated with alcohol use, um, the potential for skin infections associated with any injection drug use, um, lung problems from any inhaled drugs. So there's, there's a whole host of, of health problems that can have significant long-term and short-term effects. We've got about a minute left. Let's, let's spend that time talking about where people can go to get help. Mm-hmm. So Rethinking Drinking is a website that has lots of great information about alcohol use. I would also encourage people to look up the Fora Health website. That's forahealth.org. It's F-O-R-A health.org. Uh, talking with your primary care provider, they may be able to provide medications for substance use. There are great medications for alcohol use and for opioid use. Um, and then I would encourage them to look online for any of the local self-help groups that can also provide great support. And then people there can help people connect with other resources. Probably great to reach out to friends and family as well. Absolutely. And I would say for, for treatment, they may have great ideas and also for general support. Absolutely. Great. You've given us such great information today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We've been talking today with Dr. Eowyn Riki, Fora Health Medical Director and Substance Abuse Specialist. If you'd like to hear this interview again, just search for Let's Talk Portland on the Odyssey app. Let's Talk Portland is an Odyssey Portland public affairs program. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.